This episode is brought to you by the Professional Speech and Debate Association. Join the newest and most exciting league in forensics. Anyone can enter at any age and earn large cash prizes. Learn more at ProSDA.com. Impromptu at the very highest level, when impromptu is good, it is hard to find anything better. Hi, my name is Talon Stradley, and this is Soapboxers, a fly-on-the-wall podcast about speech and debate. I used to compete on the Orange Coast College team, and now I'm back after two years to document the speech and debate experience and bring it to you. Today, we look at limited preparation events and what it takes to write a speech in as little as two minutes. This is Soapboxers. Well, here we are, diving into our fifth episode. You've learned about speech and debate, Orange Coast College, oral interp, and platform speaking. I figure it's about time I finally give you the history of my involvement in the OCC speech and debate team. Just like Shaheen and Sean Connor, I started in the theater department. I actually chose Orange Coast College specifically because of their theater program. Throughout my first couple years, I was a full-blown theater kid. I performed in plays, wrote and directed with our student repertory, and even stage managed a faculty show. In 2016, I took my first communication class with Shaheen Davari. Yeah, Shah's class, the one he taught to like kids who weren't in speech, but it was about speech. That's Stefan. He was one of the returning competitors when I joined the team. Oh, uh, yo, my name's uh, Stefan Salazar. Is there a camera? Or is no, this it's a, it's just an audio? audio. Yeah. Trippin', you look official. I met Stefan not on the team, but in this Reader's Theaters class. It was essentially a whole class built around oral interpretation. Both Stefan and Shaheen tried to recruit me to the forensics team, but between my involvement in theater and an outside service organization, I just didn't have the time. I took the Reader's Theater class to fill a GE requirement, but was told it wouldn't work after I finished. I needed to take a public speaking class. So I took one with Shaheen. And once again, I had a great time. And once again, Shaheen tried to recruit me to the team. It almost worked. I actually attended the first meeting that year, but then I got elected to a leadership position in that same service organization and all my free time went flying out the window. I thought that was it. I was planning to transfer that year, but then my mom pointed out something. I was only a few classes away from earning another degree. If I stayed on campus one more year, took a few classes, I could walk away with an extra associates. So I did. I stayed, took the one class I needed, and because of the lower course load, I finally had the time to join the team. In fall of 2018, I officially joined the Orange Coast College speech and debate team. The first event that I was assigned was a shorter event that I had never heard of before. It was impromptu one of the limited prep events. And today, we're talking about limited prep, one of my all-time favorite speech and debate events. So, what is limited preparation? Limited prep is exactly what it sounds like, which is you get a limited amount of time to prepare your speech. Yeah, essentially you are given some kind of prompt by the judge, you spend a certain amount of time preparing your speech, and then you deliver it. The kinds of prompts, amount of time you have, and expectations of the speech are all dependent on what limited prep event you are running. To help guide us through it all is coach Hannah Hagigat. All right, hey everyone. I am 
very excited. We are gonna talk all about limited preparation events today. There are two events we are going to break down. One is called impromptu speaking, and one is called extemporaneous speaking. First, we're gonna talk about impromptu. That's the event I competed in. In impromptu, you have seven minutes to write and perform a speech based around a topic that is provided to you. Typically, we advise that you spend a minute and 30 seconds to two minutes of that time preparing. That's kind of the standard range, but as you get to higher level tournaments, some competitors will prep their speech in as little as 30 seconds. The less time they spend preparing, the more time they can be talking and the more impressive it looks to the judges. If you need to go longer than two minutes, that's okay too. You have the whole seven minutes to prep and present to the best of your ability. Technically speaking, you could prep for six minutes and only give a minute long speech if you wanted to, though you probably wouldn't do very well at that point. These aren't hard and fast rules. As you're getting started, it might take you a little bit longer than two minutes. That's okay, right? But the goal is seven minutes total, minute 30 to two minutes of prep within that seven minutes. As long as you don't go over that seven minutes, you're good. And don't worry, judges of these events give special hand signals throughout the speech to make sure you're aware of how much time you have available. So that's the timing of it. What about the topics? You'll be handed a slip of paper that you can use while speaking. You can bring it up with you. On this slip of paper, there are typically three quotations. You know, the kind of quotes you might see on a poster in the library such as, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme, by Mark Twain. Some of them are from figures from history, some might be modern pop culture figures, some might even be anonymous. Sometimes, it might be three quotes from the same person. Other times, it might be completely scattered. Sometimes, it's not even a quotation at all. Sometimes it's tweets, sometimes it's a meme, sometimes it's an object. Sometimes it could be a horoscope, right? Like it could be a variety of things, but typically it is a quotation. One minor note is that in impromptu, we always refer to them as quotations and not quotes. It's not a huge deal, but it is one of those specific traditions that speech and debate tends to have, and judges might mark you down if you don't follow it. So you got your slip of paper, you open it, you've picked your prompt. The next step is interpreting that prompt. This is essentially boiling down the quotation to a simple and digestible take that you can build your speech around. For the Mark Twain quote above, I might interpret that as, we must look for patterns in our past. Interpretation, this is the most important part of your speech. Tell us what the quotation means to you and make it simple and short and to the point. It should not be longer than a sentence. You should be taking something complicated and making it simple. If you've ever seen a complicated movie or a complicated lecture and someone came up and told you and broke it down in like a sentence or two, that's exactly what you're doing. You're taking something that has, you know, layers, is kind of a little too flowery and you're making it simple and concise. After you interpret your quotation, you are either going to agree or disagree with it. And you're allowed to agree or disagree with that quotation. That's what's really nice about impromptu speaking. You are not confined to, yes, I totally agree. Risks are great. We should always take risks. Let's take risks. No, maybe you're not that type of person. Maybe you're like, absolutely not. Play it safe. I don't want to take risks. I don't think taking risks is smart. I'm going to disagree with that quotation. So you can agree or disagree as long as your examples support that. 
right? As long as the examples that you come up with show why you agreed or disagreed with that quotation and with that interpretation. The examples are the real meat of the speech. Typically, you have three, and most of your speech will be spent discussing these three examples. Examples are anything you can use to support your interpretation. And when I say anything, I mean anything. Examples can be so many different things. All of you already have so many examples at your fingertips. They can be movies, they can be TV shows, they can be podcasts, they can be historical events, celebrities, songs, right, musicians. Oh my gosh, so many things can be examples. The only thing that can get a little dicey is using personal experience as an example. You want something that has been documented and is verifiable. But even that is not a hard and fast rule. While the coaches at OCC strongly discourage it, I have definitely lost rounds to people who regularly use personal examples. It all depends on the judge. Some really don't like it, while others, you can get away with it. Aside from personal experience, if you can use it to support your interpretation, it can be an example. Um, my examples are a little atypical. That's River. Veteran imprompter for the OCC team. I have like a lot of like death ritual examples, funeral strippers, um, oven crypts, things of that nature. Uh, <laughs> a lot of like astronomy related stuff. And then like a lot of weird science or like weird trajectories of like human development of things. So I go a little rogue. My examples tended to pull more from seemingly mundane options that turned out to be deceptively interesting. Some of my favorites included things like sand, city planning, chairs, and fonts. I'll admit, most of my examples were from the podcast 99% Invisible. That's kind of what's cool about impromptu is you just kind of like see what people are absorbing in their daily life. As an impromptu competitor, everything you watch, hear, read, or learn can be an example. It can get a little overwhelming organizing all of that. So what can be really, really helpful that I'm going to ask all of you who compete in impromptu to do is create an impromptu notebook. So if I see an example and I do not write it down, it is very cool, but it will immediately exit my brain or I won't know like, quite what to do with it. So I have a notebook that looks fully crazy, but is just a notebook of like examples that I have found or things that I think could like be used for like a speech. So like if I hear something or see something that seems like I could use it as an example, I'll write it down and then like typically I'll like write down a couple things either that are important about it or like what it can be used to like prove or support or like different themes that are related to it. So if it's like about like ingenuity or like overcoming an obstacle or whatever, I'll like make a note of it. So it's like really easy to like flip through when I'm practicing. The impromptu sourcebook is helpful for a ton of reasons. Like River mentioned, you can start thinking about what kinds of interpretations will work well with certain examples. Even the act itself of concisely describing an example can help prepare you for impromptu. If I asked you, what is the first Harry Potter book about? How many of you think that you could summarize that book to the T beautifully in under a minute? <laughs> high fives, right? High fives. But it's difficult. I have read it. I'm a big Harry Potter fan. If someone asked me to do that on the fly, I would be like, um, there's this kid and he's an orphan. Uh, and you're kind of stumbling over your words. So pre-writing out your examples also make it so that you can condense that information. Okay, so we have your quotation, interpretation, and examples. 
after the break, we'll tackle the structure and find out what goes on in an impromptu's mind. What the hell is going on in your brain when you're doing impromptu? That's coming up next on Soapboxers. The PSDA has flipped traditional forensics on its head. With the only unaffiliated judge pool, the PSDA competitors receive a higher quality level of feedback and never have to worry about so-called judge politics. Just eight hours on the first Saturday of every month, PSDA tournaments are the most efficient, fun, and fair competition experience in forensics. Professional competitors can win up to $800 a tournament. Learn more at ProSDA.com and use promo code GOINGPRO at registration to save $50 on your first tournament. Hired Judge makes the lives of coaches and tournament directors easier by providing high-quality, reliable judges at the click of a button. With over 1,200 judges nationwide, Hired Judge is always there to help you in a pinch. Judges are constantly evaluated for expertise, professionalism, and reliability to help make sure your tournament is successful. Hire Judges or register to receive judging offers at HiredJudge.com. Use promo code SOAPBOXERS at checkout to save $15 off your first judge order. Are you enjoying Soapboxers? Want to help out the show? Consider donating. Whether you want to leave a one-time donation through our tip jar or a monthly contribution through Patreon, we have options for you. Our monthly backers get access to ad-free episodes, buttons, and shoutouts on the show. Visit SoapboxersPod.com support to learn more. That's SoapboxersPod.com support. And hey, thank you. Welcome back. We're about to dive into the structure of impromptu speeches. Okay, so let's talk about the structure a little bit. So you have an introduction. The introduction's really important because kind of holds the key to the entire speech. The first part of the introduction is the attention-getting device, or AGD. So something that's just gonna grab our attention. You can think of this as a fourth example, but as Jimmy said, a fun fact is really great for this. Something short, concise, to the point, that's gonna hook us, that's gonna get us addicted to whatever it is that you are talking about. One of my favorite AGDs for impromptu was radiotrophic fungi, which are fungi that get their energy from radiation instead of the sun, like most other plants. It's a quick, interesting tidbit that does a good job of getting attention, which is the point of an attention-getting device. After the AGD, you read your quotation, state your interpretation, and whether or not you are going to agree or disagree. Next up is... The body. You have three main points in your speech. They all follow the same structure. And it's called the CERT method. S-E-R-T. Each letter stands for something. Yep. More acronyms. First up is S. S stands for state your claim. Just tell us what your example is. First, we're going to talk about LeBron James. Through a sports thing for you. Thank you. <laughs> then E. The E stands for explain. You can also think of this as the synopsis. Okay, you're talking about LeBron James. There's so many different things you can say about him. What specifically are you talking about? That is the explain. Next up is R, which stands for relate. Relate is the most important step. Relate is where you connect it all back to your interpretation. That shows the judge you're doing the analysis. You aren't just using the same examples all the time and making them fit. You're really thinking critically about how all this connects. And you literally are going to say, this relates back to my interpretation because, 
LeBron James had to work hard to get to where he is today. And finally, T is for transition. Transition, that's just smooth movement from one main point to the next main point. That's cert. State your claim, explain, relate, and transition. After you use that on your three examples, you can go into your conclusion. The conclusion is basically a rehash of the intro. You'll state the quotation and your interpretation again, and then, as the last morsel you leave to the audience, you bookend it with your AGD. Once you've done all of that, you'll have completed an impromptu speech. Now remember, all of that happens in just seven minutes. With all of the prep, choosing the quotation, interpreting it, planning out examples, happening in just a minute and a half. Many people have no idea how this is even possible. The answer is practice. And this is all a muscle. If this seems overwhelming to you, you just do drills. That's something I like to do. You pull up a quotation, get your horoscope out, get a tweet out, get whatever out that you have access to, set two minutes on the clock, try your best, interpret it, try to come up with three examples. That's it, that's a drill. These drills are a large part of how imprompters build that muscle. Unlike other events where you memorize and perfect a single speech, impromptu is about honing a certain process. By running drills, coming up with interpretations, and finding those examples, you start to train your brain to construct these speeches in such a short amount of time. Shaheen has never competed in impromptu, but he has tried it to get a better understanding of this process. I did one impromptu because I've been coaching it for like three years. And I was like, what the hell is going on in your brain when you're doing impromptu? What's the problem that you're, that you're going to run into over and over and over again? And then figure out how to assess that problem. I think the number one thing is like calming. It's like, it's like any trivia. You ever played Taboo? And you know how like you see those list of words and you can't say them, but because you see the, and if you hadn't seen the list of words, you, yeah, you never would have thought of them. But because the list of words is in front of you, you're like obsessed about the thing. I ran into this all the time as a competitor, where one example would wedge its way in my brain and make it hard to think of others. It takes a lot of practice, drills, and training to navigate around that in such a consistent manner. So that's impromptu speaking. The other limited preparation event is called Extemporaneous, or Extemp for short. All right, so let's talk about Extemp. Extemp doesn't get a lot of love, but it deserves love. So let's talk about it. <laughs> We're not gonna go too far into Extemp quite yet for a couple of reasons. One, it shares a lot of structural similarities with impromptu. And two, no one on the team is currently practicing Extemp. This is because extemporaneous is normally picked up as a second or third event by debaters or impromptors. Extemporaneous is essentially a longer limited prep event that is based around current events instead of quotations. Instead of two minutes to prepare a five minute speech, in extemp, you get 30 minutes to prepare a seven minute speech. You get a significant amount of time to prepare, but in that 30 minutes, you're doing a lot of research. In extemp, you are given three options, three questions or statements about what's going on in the world. That could be domestic, that could be international, that could be economic. And you are taking up the role of answering how we should handle some of these situations. You know, should we have pulled out of Afghanistan? Was that a mistake? Or was it a good thing that we did? And then you answer that question by citing multiple sources, typically. You know, we like to see around seven to 11 current sources, and it's a very current type of event 
in the sense that all of the topics you're given are going to be in the news that week. They're going to be things that are very much so important in the ether of what's going on in the world. So it's really important to keep up with the news and keep up with what's going on. Because it requires a nuanced, up-to-date understanding of current events, it tends to be picked up later in the season. Debaters who are used to speaking on the fly about current issues often take up extemp after IPDA or parliamentary. And imprompters will sometimes use their knowledge of limited prep, the cert method, and timing to pick up extemp as well. Limited preparation events as a whole seem to carry a different air. Because there is no speech to memorize, and it relies on a lot of the public speaking skills present in all events, impromptu is normally one of the most entered events, and will be comprised of oral interpreters, platform speakers, and debaters. While cross-pollination between all events is common, I think impromptu tends to be particularly diverse when it comes to what other events the competitors are running. On top of this, many individuals find a distinct passion for the limited preparation events, myself included. I love limited preparation events. I almost like, I don't know, like those like sand mandalas, like where people will like make art and it kind of blows away in the wind. And it's super useful. Impromptu is one of the most useful events and there's no argument about that. I think they're the best thing you can possibly do for job interviews. I think it's incredibly helpful for job interviews because the structure that you follow is exactly how you want to answer job interview questions. They ask you a question, hey, give us an example of having to interact with students. Okay, here are my three examples. This first example shows how I blah, blah, blah. The second example, blah, like they literally use this exact same structure for answering interview questions. Impromptu at the very highest level, when impromptu is good, it is hard to find anything better. I love impromptu. It was one of my favorite events as a competitor. The fast-paced, always-changing, enjoyable atmosphere made it one that I was always happy to compete in. That's why I was so excited when Hannah asked me to demonstrate impromptu to the team. If you want to hear my full impromptu speech, including my thoughts during the prep, then please stick around to the end of the credits. Next time on Soapboxers. Finally, after all this time, we are going to move from speech to debate. And we're going to answer that age-old question, what do you debate about? Uh, the resolution today is going to be, this house believes that TikTok has more, more value than YouTube. That's next time on Soapboxers. Soapboxers is produced by myself, Talon Stradley, and mixed by Chris Moore. Our executive producer is Shaheen Davari. Our theme music was created by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder, and our podcast art was designed by the delightful Rhiannon White. Other music in the episode was provided by musicfine.com. Special thanks to our sponsors, Hired Judge, and the Professional Speech and Debate Association. An extra special thanks to Clark Moore, John Farkas, Fuzzy, Ben Steidel, Aaron McGuire, Ali Beheshti, John Llewellyn, and of course, my mom, for their support on Kickstarter. If you want to join these saints in the fiscal support of the show, you can visit us at soapboxerspod.com support, where we have recurring and one-time donation options. Check it out to get ad-free episodes, buttons, and shoutouts. If you want to stay up to date on the show, you can follow us on Instagram at soapboxerpod. We're also on Twitter and TikTok. This show would not be possible without the speech and debate coaches and team at Orange Coast College. Thanks for letting me tag along. Soapboxers is a production of Newton's Dark Room, a podcast studio set to explore imagination through antiquated audio dramas and nonfiction expeditions. For more information, visit newtonsdarkroom.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.
Okay, before we get to my impromptu speech, I just want to clarify that this is not some big, shining, perfect example of what an impromptu speech can look like. That being said, this is my impromptu. And after two years of leaving this skill alone, I'm pretty damn proud of where it's at. I'm going to play most of the seven minutes here, including some of the prep time. I'll kind of give commentary on that process and what was going through my head at the time, and then we'll leap into the speech. So, here we go. So I'm very excited to have Talon do an example impromptu for all of us. So go ahead and give Talon a big round of applause. So the setup for impromptu is a little bit different. It's not like we clap and then they start. I am going to be timing Talon. So as Talon is going, you might notice me giving him verbal time signals and physical time signals. Along with that, I am going to hand him a slip of paper, which will have the topics for him. So Talon, here you go. And I am starting my timer once you've opened the paper. Okay. Starting time now. I open this slip of paper. What kinds of quotes do we have here? Do I see a pattern or any from an author I know? No? Okay, skim through them. I don't like that first one. That last one seems confusing. This second one looks like one that I can use. I have a lot of tool-based examples. Common sense is like deodorant. The people who need it rarely use it. 30 seconds used. Okay, I interpret that as use the tools provided and I'm going to agree. Okay, examples. Well, I wanted to use Bachelor in Paradise as an example. That'll work great. Oh, and I can use Montecito as an example of what happens if you don't use the tools provided. What else? What else? Uh, nothing's really coming. Curb cuts? I used that example a lot. I'm familiar with it. They made their own tools. Does that work? One minute use? Uh, it's it's going to have to. Okay, AGD. Uh, anything... Uh, anything. What, what have I been thinking about a lot lately? Uh, vaccines. That's a tool provided. Provided tool. Okay, use vaccines. Okay, it's going to have to work. Here we go. Standing up, folding the paper, and getting ready to deliver the speech. Vaccines are a hot topic today. Some people need them. Other people would rather eat veterinary paste. <laughs> it's important to remember that we have to use the tools that are provided for us. We have this amazing technology that can literally save lives. But instead, people are just going against their common sense. This is what I thought of when I received the quotation. Common sense is like deodorant. The people who need it most never use it by anonymous. And we interpreted this to mean that you need to use the tools provided. We're going to look at this through three examples. One, through curb cuts inside of a road. Second, through Montecito, a town in California. And finally, everybody's favorite trash TV show, Bachelor in Paradise. <laughs> so let's start with curb cuts. For those who don't know, curb cuts are those little ramps that you see in the sides of sidewalk. They allow people with wheelchairs, strollers, or any other wheel device to calmly and safely get up onto the sidewalk. But as crazy as it might be, we didn't always have curb cuts. We had to fight for that. In fact, it all started in Berkeley, California, where there was a group of people attending Berkeley College there 
who were not able to adequately traverse the city that they lived in. So what did they do? They actually took hammers and broke curb cuts into the sidewalks around. They made their own tools. They went out and they decided to make something that now is common sense for the rest of us. Something that we can all use and move forward with to have a better life, whether or not we're in a wheelchair or riding a skateboard. Next, I want to talk about Montecito. Montecito is a town in California that has particularly bad fires. The reason that they have particularly bad fires is because there is a certain plant growing up and around there that gets extremely combustible about every 20 years. So about every 20 years, they have a large problem with fires. And this is an extremely wealthy community. This is actually where Oprah lives. And that's part of the reason why they have struggled so much with this problem. See, in this instance, they did not use the tools provided. They did not use the natural landscape that was around them. Instead, they brought in this invasive species that has this extreme fire danger, and now they all have to live with the consequences. If they had just gone about and instead used the natural landscape around, they could have been in a much better position. And finally, let's talk Bachelor. So this season on The Bachelor in Paradise, we saw a particularly interesting phenomenon with some of the characters, or actual people, I guess. <laughs> they have gone, created pre-existing relationships before the show aired, and then brought those relationships onto the show in order to gain followers and clout and eventually become a better Instagram influencer. And this causes a lot of problems, both for the show from the standpoint of the producers and people trying to create compelling television, and the people who are there and just trying to find love in the most convoluted and weird way possible. <laughs> Take, for example, Natasha, who fell for Brandon early on in the series. Now, Brandon had one of those pre-existing relationships, and a few weeks in, after Piper came to the island, they left Natasha right to the side. But Natasha was smart. She used the tools provided to her, and she was able to rally the rest of the contestants, especially my boy, grocery store Joe, <laughs> who was able to come up and force Brandon off the island. And the producers of the show saw this inventiveness, saw her using the resources at her disposal, and felt bad for her, giving her a complimentary rose to stay on the island another week. She went and used the tools provided for her, the people who had her back, to make a substantial change in her life, and to honestly help the show as a whole. So, today I received the quotation, common sense is like deodorant, the people who need it most never use it, by Anonymous. And we interpreted this to mean that you need to use the tools provided. We looked at this through curb cuts, something that was not provided, but after a little bit of thinking and work, they were able to go and make something good for the rest of us. We also looked at Montecito, a town that rejected this idea and has had to pay the price since. And finally, we looked at Bachelor in Paradise, where Natasha was able to use the tools provided to make a better experience for millions of viewers across the country. And just like with vaccines, sometimes it is right there in front of you. You just have to have the common sense to use it. Thank you.